I'm Pastor Michael Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. I'd like to welcome you and to thank you for listening to our Sunday morning sermons. I hope that they're a blessing to you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Brothers and sisters, Christianity in America is on the decline. It is on the decline. And you might think, what a way to open your sermon today by telling us our religion is on the decline. Hooray! Surveys from the Pew Research Center show that church attendance, belief in God, and membership in churches are on the decline. While people who identify as not nuns, no affiliation, or spiritual but religious, when it comes to faith, are slowly on the rise. And much ink has been spilled on, uh, many blogs typed out on why this is occurring. And the reasons for this occurring is far too complicated to cover in a single Sunday morning sermon. So we'll just leave it as an observation. And in the light of the decline of Christianity in America, and indeed in the Western world, branding and marketing gurus have arisen to help for a fee, of course. Through their books and media presences, they offer advice on how to surf the waves of chaos and be effective. Church has become branding, complete with swag and Instagram personalities. And while some of these strategies have been working in some areas, the jury is still out on how effective they will be long term. As well as the question, do these strategies dilute the message of Jesus Christ and the mission of the church? In today's reading from St. Paul to the Thessalonians, we see three things that he avoided which helped him be effective in reaching out and establishing churches in the city of Thessalonica. And I believe that these three dangers are dangers that are always temptation for the church and are temptations for those of us who make up the church, the body of Christ. And they're temptations that we continually fall prey to. So before we take a look, I'd just like to reread the text from Thessalonians because I think it's pretty important And I want you to catch the three things and see if you can spot them for yourself. For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother, taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So we know here from what St. Paul says that he and his companions had suffered in their time at Philippi due to shameful treatment. And in spite of that suffering, he still came to them and declared the gospel with boldness. And that's the story in the book of Acts. One of my favorite stories in the book of Acts is is St. Paul and Silas in Philippi. And St. Paul is walking through the marketplace the one day after he's been preaching the gospel. And there's a, a girl possessed by an evil spirit who walks behind them or before them saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who will show you the way to salvation. 
And as we see in the Gospels, the last thing you want is a demon testifying to who you are, which is why Jesus told demons to shut up. Right? Jesus would cast demons out of people and then say, oh, you're, why are you coming to, to bother us, servant of the... Why are, you, why are you coming to torture us before the time? And Jesus would say, shut up and come out. So St. Paul, grieved in his spirit, casts this uh, spirit of divination out of this girl and immediately gets arrested because he's now destroyed her master's business. Gets put in jail, unlawfully whipped and flogged, and put in prison, miraculously freed by an angel. And that freedom leads to the conversion of the Philippian jailer and his entire household. That's what he experienced in Philippi. In the midst of great suffering, he also had a great harvest of souls. And we see this lesson already that we should all integrate, right? Declare the gospel with boldness and purity of heart, in spite of suffering. Because without that purity of heart, which sometimes can only come through our suffering for the sake of Christ, we would fall into the categories that he's going to point out to them. And suffering for Christ is at times one of the greatest witnesses the church has. It's powerful, and as Tertullian once remarked, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And boldness, oftentimes supernatural boldness, comes at the most unlooked-for times that emerge from times of suffering. And I think even though Christianity is on the decline in America, and even though many popular forms of Christianity start to look either like theater or capitulation to the values of our culture, true faith survives and thrives even in the midst of that. And I think in the coming years, months and years, that we might even begin to see suffering on account of Christ in the church. But that will bring about, I think, more and more conversions to the faith. And St. Paul also tells them, God has entrusted you with them, him and Silas and his companions. He's entrusted us with the gospel. So their commission is divine. Right? So St. Paul received the gospel directly from Christ, as well as his calling to be an apostle. So even though Christ is the one who called him out and chose him, he's still humble enough to call himself one born out of time. He's still humble enough to submit himself to the church leaders in Jerusalem. And not only that, but St. Paul's motives here to the church at Thessalonica does not come from an attempt to lead them astray or to try to deceive them. This is important, right? Because Christianity is one of many religions floating around the ancient world at this time. And what he's proclaiming to them is not based on anything like that. It's not based on any of these other religions or wild cosmic speculations which would come into vogue a few decades later with the rise of the Gnostics. Rather, they speak what God has entrusted them to speak. God has given them the message and they are spreading it in obedience the best way they can and not doing it in a way that's meant to appeal to any particular person or group. St. Paul is not using focus groups or writing teams in order to figure out what's going to work. Rather, he is proclaiming what God has revealed unapologetically. 
And I'm not saying that you can't use guidance from focus groups, but I think we might be getting a little misguided if we're using focus groups to determine the scope of our outreach. Because then you wind up focusing on one narrow slice, and if you focus on that one narrow slice, who takes care of the rest of the pie? So the first thing we see here that we need to avoid, the first temptation that St. Paul skirts by and warns us against is flattery. He says in verse 5, we never came with words of flattery. And we all know what this one is. We've all done it at one time or another. And flattery is when we purposefully try to use compliments or flowery language or gifts in order to change someone's opinion of us or to think differently or get us to think differently of them. Flattery is when we identify the way we want someone else to see us and then try to manipulate all those variables to achieve that outcome. What's wrong with flattery? Well, it's dishonest. <laughs> it's dishonest. Have you ever experienced flattery of any type? It kind of feels really good. Right? Who wouldn't want to be told over and over how amazing and how wonderful you are? It's a great feeling, even if people don't mean it. And sometimes you know that they don't mean it, but it's still nice to hear how great you are and how wonderful you are. But there's always a price tag attached to flattery that leads into greed, which we'll talk about in a minute. And flattery is a tool for someone who wants something. And this is a double-edged sword because some people see through flattery, but, but many of us, even though we might be able to identify it, might still let it go. Flattery means that we can never be sure that the flatterer actually means what they are saying, creating an atmosphere of suspicion. St. Paul is having none of this, and he points out to them, he did not use it to proclaim the gospel to them. Imagine if he had. It would have had the opposite reaction, and he would have never helped them as God does not work through flattery. We're good? Sounds okay? Okay. The second one, greed. Nor with a pretext for greed. Greed takes many forms not just the overwhelming desire for money or power. It can play itself out in other ways. And I'll never forget this. My friend, he might be watching this morning if you are. Hey, man. My friend Silas and I, one time, we really wanted to get the new iPhone 4. Right, this just to give you an idea of how long ago this was, because I think now they just released the 12. But the iPhone 4 was it. So the original iPhone, which I had, was great, right? But the back of it was like aluminum, and then they moved to the 3GS, which which was the one that had, it had like a plastic background. It was kind of like a half a, kind of blobbish, right? But the four, this was the next magical thing. It was aluminum, I think, had aluminum like around the edge and it had glass on the back and glass on the front. Beautiful looking phone, right? And we had to have it. We had to have it. So we went to the mall early, early in the morning, only to find a, lot, a crowd of people out and the, and the mall locked. So we went and got breakfast burritos, and then we came back. And when the doors opened, you will, I will never forget this. We didn't do this because we're, we're not greedy. But people ran, pushed through the doors, and ran to get to the Apple store, pushing each other out of the way. Fortunately, nothing really bad happened there. But 
People were running and trying to get there first to get in line just so they could get their hands on the iPhone 4. We did not get our hands on, on it that night because we didn't run. But greed, <laughs> greed. People, even though they probably didn't need it, wanted it so bad that they ran like their lives depended on it just to get another place in line. And greed is also tied in with covetousness. Remember the Ten Commandments that we just went through? What was the last one? Thou shalt not covet. When we covet something, we set all of our mental energies into doing what we need to do in order to acquire it. For some, it could be getting the latest, greatest phone. For some, it could be pursuing material success at the cost of all else. For others, it could involve the active swindling of people to enrich oneself, like Bernie Madoff or Jordan Belfort. St. Paul, though, is not motivated by greed. He is not tailoring his messages in order to gain wealth. Right? In, in, in the ancient world, the way it worked is philosophers and teachers would travel around all over the place. And what would happen is you would pay them to instruct you. So they would have the people follow, they'd pay them, and then they'd stay in a place for a time. you pay them, and then they'd move on. St. Paul's not doing this because what he has been given isn't something he made up. God... The true God has given it to him. And he's pretty intense about this, right? By saying God is witness to this. Then he says in verse 6, nor did we seek glory. Nor do we seek glory. Does anybody out there watching remember Hipstamatic? It was sort of a precursor. Uh, but then it eventually lost out to Instagram, which won out the trendy photo app war. And if you were to look back in the day on Hipstagram or, or Instagram or Hipstamatic, it's, if you were to look on mine, right, it's largely pictures of my family or food or links to my podcast, right? But there are people who have made careers off of posting pictures on Instagram, and they are called influencers. They are called this because wherever they go or whatever they affirm or whatever they highlight brings recognition and increase success to a particular brand as the influencers follow these different brands and try to visit or acquire some stuff or have uh, their people then go and, and visit the same places and try to acquire the same stuff. But this means that the influencer's life is carefully curated in order to make them look good. Their life has to look better than yours. And even though their life might not actually in reality be better than yours, they have to try and make it look like that anyway, spending hours making themselves and their photos look good enough to post to bring them glory, to bring attention, to bring glory to themselves or their products or their bodies. They try to bring acclaim and fame to themselves, glory to themselves. And St. Paul's motivation to his mission to the Thessalonians is not to bring glory to himself. It is not to bring notoriety to himself. It is not to make his own name great among the nations. Right? One of the, the things that grows out of the Reformation is soli deo gloria, glory be to God alone. They may have gone a bit extreme in it, but the driving idea behind it was things detract from the glory of God, and we need to get rid of those things that detract to the glory of God, because all glory belongs to God. And St. Paul realizes this. It's not about him. 
And he says, I could have exercised my right as an apostle. And this would play itself out in their treatment of him, right? Their support of him, both personal and financial. But he chose not to do that. He chose not to do that. And we ask ourselves, well, why did St. Paul refrain from trying to bring glory on himself? St. John Chrysostom said, it is fit that those men who are sent forth from God as ambassadors, now coming from heaven, should enjoy great honor. But with an excess of forbearance, we do none of these things that we may stop the mouth of the adversaries. In my life, in the circles that I've, I've traveled in, I have heard wealthy ministers, wealthy pastors and preachers say, well, I'm reaching out to the rich. How in the world can I hobnob with the rich and witness to them if, I don't, if I'm not rich myself? How can I sit down in first class with this businessman and share the gospel with him if I don't have access to the first class seats myself? Unless I can roll with them, then how am I ever going to reach them? How are they ever going to believe me? So I need these Gucci pants, and I need these $2,000 shoes and, and the $10,000 you know, Rolex or whatever, because that gets me in the club. Because if I'm just wearing a movement watch or, heaven forbid, a fossil watch, and if I'm wearing Allbirds or Skechers, they're not going to listen to what I have to say. St. Paul, though, he refrains from trying to draw glory to himself because he was not an influencer. He's not a tyrant. He said he was gentle towards him because that's what they needed, and that was his model. He would support himself financially by making tents in order to not be a burden when starting new churches. And we have to realize St. Paul was so well-educated not only in, in Judaism, but he also quotes the philosophers of his day. He quotes poets of his day. In him we live and move and have our being. St. Paul didn't make that up. He's referring to pagan poets and philosophers when he says that. Very well educated. He could have asked for a lot of money. And since he's an apostle of Christ, y'all better take care of me when I come to minister. And here's the thing, right? As an apostle of Christ, he should be taken care of. And he makes this point, right? To take care of those who labor among you. He says this explicitly. But his model when going to these new places is, I don't want anything to detract from the message of the gospel. So I am going to do things that are hard, that are difficult, that make my life more difficult. I'm going to do them for you so you can see that what I'm telling you is real because the glory belongs to God. He didn't want to be a burden. All the material blessings were to be directed to the work of God and all the words of praise should be offered to the Spirit and in truth to God. And when we seek the good of others at the expense of our own good, God will use that and bless it. And flattery and greed and glory are still lurking today, pulling at all of our hearts in the hearts of clergy. He still died. He's died recently, but one of the most well-known modern Christian apologists in 
the world is shown to have committed multiple instances of unwanted sexual advances and manipulation on many women. And one major radio minister was recently fired by his church a couple years ago after behavioral issues and after it was discovered he was using the church's finances to fund his own lifestyle. All of this detracts from the message of the gospel, which is why St. Paul works so hard to avoid those traps. And if we follow his example and avoid them ourselves, then maybe our effectiveness can deepen and maybe our nets that we cast out will bring in more and more people in need of God's grace. And like St. Paul, and like we heard in the reading from Deuteronomy about Moses and about how he led the children of Israel and how that passed on to Joshua after Moses laid his hands upon him and Joshua gained what he needed to be an effective leader, Jesus shows us the antidote to flattery and to greed and to glory. And the antidote that Jesus shows us through his own life the answer to flattery is honesty. Right? So that, that remember in your if you remember the gospel, somebody comes up to Jesus one day and says, Oh, good teacher, tell me how to. And Jesus says, Hey, don't call me good, only call God good. Because he recognizes that as flattery. Jesus was honest. He was honest. You're dead inside. Your outside looks like a temple, but your inside looks like it is a tomb filled with dead men's bones. How about you clean out the inside first, fella, and then you can work on the outside. That's honest. You have turned my father's house into a marketplace as he's whipping people and turning over tables. Jesus was honest. He didn't tell people what they wanted to hear. He told them what they needed to hear. The second thing that Jesus shows us is the antidote is the antidote for greed is satisfaction. I, I spoke about this recently, right? But St. Paul even mentions, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content, whether I have enough food or whether I'm, I don't have enough food, whether I'm, I have enough money in the bank or whether I'm just barely making it. I have learned to be satisfied in all things. <laughs> I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which is what that verse is referring to. Satisfaction with what we have, right? We don't see Jesus trying to acquire more and more stuff, right? More and more. I heard a preacher one time say, if Jesus was alive right now, he'd have his own jet so he could fly around. No, Jesus would not do that because that's not, that was not the goal. That was not the point, what did he say? Foxes, foxes have dens, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Satisfied with what we have. And then the third antidote that Jesus shows us is that the glory that we seek is not our own glory, but the glory of God. The glory of God. And I think that that gets back to the heart of what the Reformers were trying to do was to dust off some of the cobwebs and say, let's refocus our attention to bringing glory to God. Because ultimately, brothers and sisters, it's, it's God's glory that we're worried about. But here's the beautiful thing, brothers and sisters, is that any glory that we experience, right, any, any glory that God may allow us to even have 
It's not ours. It's his. And so as a result, it should always be turned back upon the one who it's due. I'll give you a, a dumb example, okay? And I'll just use myself because it's easy and it won't offend anybody. So whenever, whenever somebody says, wow, that sermon you preached, that was amazing. In my heart, I'm saying, yes, I know. Wasn't that great? I spent a lot of time on that. I worked really hard. I, I really like massaged some of the English, particularly in that part, because I wanted maximum impact. So yes, that was great. Thank you for acknowledging my great sermon that everyone's going to forget in two weeks anyway, because that's just the life of being a pastor, right? <laughs> that's what I might be thinking inside. But I don't say, yeah, thank you. I'll, I do say thank you, right? But I don't say, I work really hard on that. Thank you so much for acknowledging that. When somebody says to me, my pastor, I'm like, that was really great. That sermon really spoke to me. I always say this, thank God. Because if God uses the dumb words of my mouth to change something in your heart, that's not based on the dumb words of my mouth. That's the work of the Spirit in your heart. And that's my way of trying to make sure I stay free from trying to seek my own glory, to seek my own name, to build my own brand. The brand of Reverend Mike Landsman needs to be built at all costs. And that's not what we're about. And that's not what this church is trying to do. Jesus is our great example. He is the antidote to greed. He is the antidote to flattery. And he is the antidote to our seeking our own glory. And so to Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and is all holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. This is Pastor Mike Landsman, and if you have any questions about anything you heard or would like some more information about our church, feel free to email me, malandsman at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Zion's Stone UCC, or our website, zionstoneucc.com. We have a GoFundMe set up as well for some repairs that we need, gofundme.com slash UCC. As we continue to navigate the fallout from the coronavirus, I'd like to thank everyone for their continued generosity. It always amazes me how generous you've been. And I pray that the blessings of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would be with you and would keep you. Amen.